Open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. I want to thank all the men that came up and helped yesterday. We emptied out two full dump trailers of stuff from downstairs. And Sunday school teachers, don't worry, we did not get rid of all of your supplies. I know there was a little concern that we were going to do that. Laura would have done that, but I would never do that to you. So I just want you to know I'm the kind one. How many of you doubt that right there? I mean, yes. Um, so thank you so much. Honestly, you guys, you did it so quickly. It, it was such a blessing to get all of that done. Let me just give you a little update about the building so you know what's going on. We really can't have uh, Sunday school and Awana until the nursery's finished. We've got to get that nursery finished. We're going to see how much of that we can get done this week. And uh, Matthew Heberlin just did a bunch of stuff for us, too. I'm thankful for the work that you did. And some of you other guys that... See, Matthew didn't tell me not to say it, so I did. Some of you other guys have asked me not to. He probably wishes I hadn't. But uh, I wish you church could know the men that God has brought, ladies that God has brought to Grace Baptist, who just serve do things so that we can enjoy a service like this today. But anyway, back to the building. Um, So we're trying to get the nursery finished and some of those things. Uh, Painters come tomorrow for the old auditorium. They're supposed to be done by the middle of the week. Then the ceilings go in, uh, the ceiling tiles, the ceiling's already in, ceiling tiles go in, and then carpet gets put down. So hopefully in the next week or so, that space is finished. We do need to buy cabinets for that, so that's something we're going to be talking about. But other than that, that area is going to be finished. But we have to get that nursery finished. We have to buy some doors, get some doors installed, get some trim up, and then the new nursery will be ready to go. So that's what's going on. I wish that I could say, this is the date, this is when we're going to do it, but um, I have stopped giving dates. (laughs) <laughs> so we'll, we'll be back in as quickly as we can. Thank you for your patience on that. And I can't wait to relaunch everything that we're doing. All right, let's look at the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. And I want you to see something. This is, I wanted to revisit something, and I've, I've reworked it for today. You know that in order for us to continue in ministry at Grace Baptist Church, in order for us to continue the excellence that we've tried to establish over 67 years and then to improve because we don't want to stay the same, right? We want to improve. We want to grow, whether it's in the quality of the ministry or the number of workers that we have, the number of people we're able to reach, number of souls saved and people who follow the Lord and believers baptism, the numbers of people that are baptized or that are discipled so that they can grow in the Lord, all of that. We want to increase in that. But we can't increase in anything without each of us understanding that God has a plan for each of us. God wants all of us to serve. God wants all of us to do something for him. But here's the question that all of us end up having. Well, who am I? I, They don't need me. Moses, I can't even talk. I can't tell you how many people I have heard. I guess... They say that for some people, speaking in public is their greatest fear, more than falling off a cliff or drowning or, you know, being put in a box or something. So how many of you are thinking of that Bob Newhart skit, Stop It? How many of you ever? How many of you have not seen the Bob Newhart skit, Stop It? You have not seen it. Okay, don't do it now because I'm preaching. But after the service, you've got to Google that. It's one of the funniest things you'll ever see, and you'll understand what I'm saying about being put in a box. But anyway, so many people, they get so scared about service. And what can I do? Moses was in the same place. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3. I want you to see God's supernatural call. Look at Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Now, how many of you have heard of the burning bush account? You've heard of that, all right? 
Look at verse 3. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, help us to say this same thing. Here am I. The problem is many of us don't say, here am I. We say, who am I? Father, help us today to see from your word some lessons from the scriptures and then maybe some encouragement about what you've called us to do. Help us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that I'd like you to see is the call of God on one's life is always a supernatural event. It's always a supernatural event. And here's what some people say. Well, I'm not called. I'm not called. Well, just a simple question. How many of you are saved? You know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. You'd raise your hand. Well, the Bible says that you're called. You can't be saved without being called. Let me say that again. You know, one of the things about the new room, I don't know if I can hear you guys, so you've got to help me. You can't be saved without being called. Amen. Amen. And that's not a Calvinistic call where God calls some of you and doesn't call others of you. You know, some people actually believe that. You know, I call that daisy Christianity. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And you better hope you're on the he loves me or you have to go to hell. That's ridiculous. Jesus Christ tasted death for every man, the Bible says. So if you are saved, then you are called. If you are saved, then you are called. And that call is always a supernatural call. And, of course, we have some supernatural things here in this text. Oh, Before I go there, I want you to see something. Look at uh, verse 1. Now, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. And look at where they're doing it, the backside of the desert. That sounds like the middle of nowhere. So it's not only in the desert, it's the backside of the desert. Sounds like Shelby County. You know, it's middle of nowhere. You've got to go there on purpose. You know what's so funny? When we lived in Tennessee, family would come visit us. Because there was stuff to do. Nobody comes to Sydney. Because there's nothing to do except work. Isn't that true? We've got jobs. Praise God for that. All right. Now, so look at what it says here. The backside of the desert, the end of verse 1. And came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. The mountain of God, even to Horeb. Now, here's something that's really cool. Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same place. So, one word can mean a particular mountain. Another word can mean the mountain range, Horeb or Sinai. But the Bible uses them interchangeably. So, it's Horeb or Sinai. This is where they came. And it's so interesting Well, let's just look at a couple of verses. I want you to see something interesting. Keep your place in Exodus 3. Go with me to Galatians chapter 4. It's so fun when I find these things in the Scriptures that I get to show you. So we have Exodus 3 and Galatians 4. So in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is writing about how salvation is not by the law, that salvation is free. And when you start adding works to salvation, it ceases to be salvation, right? That's what the book of Galatians is about. So he's talking about the law and the difference. And look at verse 22. So Galatians chapter 4, verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. So Hagar and Sarah. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. So if you remember, God had promised Abraham and Sarah a baby, but they stopped believing and took things into their own hands. And so they had a baby through Hagar, his handmaid. And that was a fleshly move as opposed to a spiritual move, right? And so you end up with two nations that come from that. Verse 24, which things are an allegory for, so in other words, There's a story there. God says there's a principle that happened there. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which engendereth to bondage, which is Agar, or that's Hagar. 
For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, which answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. All right, so what do we see here? If you go back to Exodus, pretty interesting thing. So God, if you remember, Moses, and we're going to see in a minute, Moses decided to uh, take things into his own hands and to deliver Israel. He goes and kills somebody and ends up having to run for his life. And for 40 years, he is stuck in the desert, right? And you guys know that. We're going to see some of that again in a minute. But the place where God comes to find him is Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. That's where he finds him. And from that place, he says, I'm going to set my people free. I can't ever say that. How many remember that? It was American Idol or something. Set my people free or let my people go. How many of you know what I'm talking about with that? Okay, I'll have to Google that too. You'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. So God finds Moses at Mount Sinai, at Mount Horeb. And he says, go deliver my people. God's purpose was the deliverance of his people. And this is obviously a supernatural call because you have this bush that's burning, but it's not consumed. That's a supernatural call. The supernatural call that God put on your life when you got saved is supernatural because nobody can be saved unless the Holy Spirit draws them to the Father. You didn't get saved on your own. It was not your own decision. Ultimately, you had to make that decision, but you could not have the ability to make the decision if the Holy Spirit wasn't drawing you to him. Now, just so there's no confusion, remember what the Bible says. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Now, that means everybody. And so, but nobody can be saved without that supernatural drawing or calling from the Holy Spirit of God. Moses' supernatural calling was demonstrated by this bush that was on fire that was not being consumed. And it's interesting that God, in a supernatural way, tells Moses that he's going to deliver his people. And think about this. This is so crazy. The same spot, the same place is where God gives Moses the law. That same spot. The place where he said, I'm going to deliver you. That's the place, that, the exact same spot that the people got back under bondage. Remember, they said, we will keep this law. We can keep this law. The Bible says nobody can keep it. And what did they do? He set them free. That deliverance began at Sinai. And they got right back under that bondage at Sinai. And it's amazing how many people, how many Christians, God saved you by a supernatural call, but you believe because of some behavior, something that you did, that you, even after you got saved, that you can no longer serve him. You know what that is? That is bondage. You know, what we always like to say, cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. Right? God knows exactly who we are. He knows exactly where we are. And he still has placed this supernatural call on our lives. That mountain of God that is such an interesting thing in the way that God delivered them. The other thing that I want you to see about this burning bush, if you look at verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked... And behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. So again, keep your place here, but go to Malachi chapter 3. That's the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. Now, how many of you know that the, uh, the sign of Israel is the star of David? That's not the biblical sign. There is no star of David in the Bible. And this is an interesting thing. The symbol of Israel, the first symbol that we get for Israel is that burning bush. So look at Malachi chapter 3, look at verse 6. For I am the Lord, Malachi 3, verse 6. For I am the Lord. Now, do you see the I am there? That's what God says to Moses in the burning bush. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob 
are not consumed. So you can keep your place in Malachi. Go back to Exodus. Look at Exodus 3. Verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Look at verse 3. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. And he calls to Moses at the end of verse 4, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And when you look at verse 14, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am sent me unto you. So this idea of the bush not being consumed, the burning bush is a symbol for Israel. The Star of David is not a symbol for Israel. Let me show you how the Bible says that. How many of you would find it surprising that that star, that the Bible tells you that that star is not their symbol? It's very interesting. Look at Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, verse 43. Now remember what this is. This is Stephen preaching to Israel. And boy, it is, it is a pretty harsh indictment against the unbelief of the Jews of that day who had crucified Jesus Christ. Yea, so we're in Acts 7 and verse 43. Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Remphan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So they had a, there was a true tabernacle, but they had a false tabernacle, tabernacle to Molech. Remember what they do with that tabernacle of Molech? They sacrificed children. Let me just stop right here. Here's a parenthesis. Satan hates children. Let me say this again. Satan hates children. I need to do a sermon just on this so that you can understand. The foundation of Satanism is a hatred for the young. The abuse and the destruction of children whether it's sacrificing children to Baal or to Moloch. That god Moloch, it was a god with his arms out, and they were tilted back this direction, and they would set their baby on those arms to be devoured in the fire. Satan hates children. He will do everything he can to destroy your children. The first thing he does is he teaches your children rebellion. Rebellion is disobedience to authority. That's the first thing he does. And remember, you don't have to teach your children how to throw a fit at Walmart. Your children are born with that rebellion. And the Bible says that foolishness must be driven from the heart of a child. So the first thing is rebellion. You say, my child doesn't learn rebellion from Satan. No, he learns it from himself. It's not that which enters into a man that defiles the man. It's that which proceeds out of him. We are born with rebellion. Where the culture, the world, the flesh, and the devil, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, where the world uh, reinforces that rebellion is the idea that you're not supposed to correct your children. It's interesting, the most pagan societies, listen, listen really carefully, the most pagan societies have the most disobedient children. Go to a Hindu society. How many of you have ever been around a, a, a group of people that are raised in a Hindu society? They're the most out-of-control children you have ever seen. No care, no control. Satan likes to reinforce rebellion in a child. Where else do we see that rebellion? being reinforced through the education system. Question everything. Don't believe anything. Don't believe the Bible. Don't believe your parents. You need to understand that your parents are misinformed and all of that garbage that is forced on children, whether it's through a textbook or through a television show, that, that rebellion, Satan hates your children. And we're seeing it right now in the Democrat Party. 
Preacher, you're not supposed to talk about politics. Well, we will here at this church. When politics starts endorsing the murder of children. Now, how many of you know that abortion is murder? Would you raise your hands? We already know that. Abortion is murder. And I've got to tell you, these are the people who criticize us because we're creationists. We're against science. Everybody knows when life starts. Every scientist knows when life starts. How early can you save a child's life now in the womb? How early can a baby be born? Can a baby be born at six months and live? Is it back to five months? Can a baby be born at five months and live? I don't know what the breakoff is. I don't know. But I know this, that after the baby's born, it's alive. And understand that you have a Democrat party now that believes it's okay to kill those children. We'll we'll make the baby comfortable. We'll make the baby comfortable. And then we'll decide what to do. And I want to tell you something. Here's the amazing thing. Wearing a costume in college is the unpardonable sin. Now, should he have worn that costume? Answer the question. Of course not. It was silly. It was stupid. Just dumb. Right? It's dumb. We live in a world where wearing a costume is worse than killing a live child. You see, we are returning to satanic paganism. God has called us out of that world. We're supposed to be different than that. We need to love these ladies and help them with that child so they they feel like they have an option other than killing the child. And then we need to hold our government officials accountable and say, we will not stand for this murder. We will not stand for it. Now, I want you to notice how quiet most of the Republicans are on this because they're cowards. If our politicians are going to have a spine, it's going to have to come from us. We, the electorate, give them their spine. And we need to be as loud as the insane Democrats are. And I'm telling you, that is blatant, insanity, Satanistic paganism. Killing a little child. Who could do that? The call of God on one's life is always a supernatural event. This this idea of Israel, what has happened? Satan hates children and Satan hates God's people. The Bible says in Malachi 3, let's go back at Malachi 3. I want you to see this in verse 6. I hope I can never talk about those subjects dispassionately. Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, look at verse 6 again. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. It's very interesting when you look at this, that Israel is that bush that burns. They were enslaved by Pharaoh in Exodus 2. They were harassed by the Gentiles in the book of Judges, oppressed by Sennacherib in the book of Kings, massacred by Nebuchadnezzar in Lamentations, slaughtered by the Romans in AD 70, banished from England by Canute in in, uh, 1020, persecuted by the Europeans in 1096 through the Holy War. They were exiled by Edward I from England in 1272. They were stripped of possessions by France in 1306. They were burned by Germany in 1348 to 1350. They were robbed by Spain in 1492. And they were gassed and cremated under Himmler during World War II. Even Napoleon, who had been a friend to the Jews through his, um, they they call it the uh, infamous decree in 1808, he set a, a limit on interest rates to try and starve out the Jews. Because, because of Satan's hatred 
for God's people. And the promise that God made of a kingdom, that bush has been burned and burned and burned and burned. And you want to know something amazing? It is not consumed. Why? Because the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Praise the Lord for that. What a wonderful thing that is. It is. See, the call of God is always a supernatural event. The call of Moses to go and deliver Israel. The call of Israel to represent God in the world. And then our call to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. It is always a supernatural event. Then the call of God on one's life is always a holy event. Look at verse 5. Let's go back to Exodus 3. Exodus 3 and verse 5. And he said, draw not nigh hither. In other words, don't come too close. Put off the... Can you imagine what Moses is saying? Well, don't worry. Right? And he said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Remember that same thing happens when Joshua is about to cross the river. It's interesting. Then look at what it says. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. The call of God on your life is always a holy event. And what is holiness? When we're looking at this, take off your shoes, God says, and that's a sign of worship. That's saying, look, I understand that I need to be helpless and defenseless. I need to say, I don't have anything to offer God. Everything that I have must come from him. It is a holy event. The call of God on anyone's life, it is a holy call. What does that mean? If it's a holy call, that means there's going to be some things that we have to set aside in order to follow that call. That call to salvation, what did you have to set aside? Whatever it was that you were believing in. It could have been your own pride that you were good enough. It could have been your belief that your baptism was enough to save you. It could have been that your good works were enough to save you. You had to set that aside and bow before a holy and a righteous God and say, Lord, I can't save myself, save me. The call of God on one's life is always a holy call. And when God calls us to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature, when God calls us to love, one another. When God calls us to be a welcoming church, that is a holy calling. And we have to set aside whatever it is that's keeping us from serving God. The call of God in our lives, it's always a holy event. Then the call of God on one's life is always for the deliverance of others and for the glory of God. It's interesting when you look at the Bible, whatever God does for you, it's not just for you. See, when God saved the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. You see, the call of God on you is always for the glory of God and the benefit of others. Look at verse 7. We're back in Exodus chapter 3. Look at verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. So did God have a specific call for Moses? And it's interesting that God had spent 40 years preparing Moses how to be a leader. And then he had spent 40 years teaching Moses how to survive in the wilderness. How to be humble. And now God's going to use him. But it's interesting. What did God reward Moses with? The most difficult people in the world. Isn't that interesting? The most difficult people in the world. That's who God sent Moses to. It's so wonderful that God 
loves us. He doesn't wait for us to get good. He comes to us because we're not. And he is. You see, the call of God on one's life is always for the deliverance of others and the glory of God. Why does that bring glory to God? If God only went to great people, that would be no great thing. But God comes to the least of us. So the call of God on one's life is always for the deliverance of others and the glory of God. Now, don't forget this statement. It's not about you. It's about the people that God's going to use you to reach. What a blessing. Then, God's supernatural commission. Look at verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people and the children of Israel out of Egypt. All right? So it's a, that's, that is a supernatural commission. So just think about this. Imagine if God said to you right now, Caleb, well, that was Joshua, wasn't it, first, and you went and helped. No, different. God said, Caleb, I want you to go to Syria and deliver the people from Assad. You know what Caleb would say? What? It's interesting. When you, when you really put things into perspective, imagine if God said to us right now, said, said to you, Bill, I want you, I want you to go to Iran and deliver my people out of Iran. And he's by himself. We spiritualize these stories too much. This was the greatest power in the world at that time. And God is telling Moses, I want you to, by yourself, go and talk Moses in and lead several million people who are the foundation of his economy. I want you to go and lead them out. That's quite the commission. It is quite a commission. God's commission is clear. Bring my people out of Egypt. This is the same commission that he gave Jesus Christ in John chapter 17. Look at John 17 with me. It's interesting. Do you think Moses' job was more or less difficult than the job of Jesus Christ? So if you look at John 17 and verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So he is sent by God to do this work. Jesus is sent by God to do this work. Then in verse 14, you can see that he was sent to bring his people. Look what it says. I have given them thy word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So what did Jesus come to do? Come to tell us that this isn't where we belong. Don't get too attached to this place because we're leaving. Amen. We are not of this world. I like what it says in Hebrews. We have here no continuing city. We don't bow toward Mecca. We don't bow toward Jerusalem. We don't bow toward Columbus. We're free. We're free. We have a city whose builder and maker is God. Then look at verse 24. Not only is he supposed to take us out, but look at verse 24. Father, I have given them... I'm sorry. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me will be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. He's going to lead them out of the world. That's what Jesus is going to do. And what did Jesus say? How did Jesus respond to that? The response of Jesus to his commission was a lot different than the response of Moses to his. Here's here's Christ's response. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7. If you look at verse 6, you can see... Let's look at Hebrews 10. Look at verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. In other words, the law could not accomplish what needed to be accomplished. Verse 6. And burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, thou hast no pleasure... And here's what Jesus said. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. 
What did Jesus Christ say? I'll do it. I'll go. This is the commission. I accept it. I am going of my own will by submitting my will to the will of the Father. Our will is going to become the same. God had a will for Moses, but Moses' will and God's will were not the same. Let's look at Moses' response. Go back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11. You know, the difference between Moses and Jesus was is that Jesus believed the Father. Right? Now, of course, Jesus is God. But look at Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, Caleb, if I told you to go and deliver the Christians out of Syria, who, who am I? I? I can't do this. Do you have a driver's license yet? See, he can't even drive. He can't drive to Syria. <laughs> if, I, if I told Bill, go and deliver the Christians out of Iran. Who am I? How am I going to do this? I, I, I don't know how to do that. Just imagine. Imagine if I said to you, let's see, I just want to pick somebody by random. Chris, I want you to lead Grace Baptist Church right now. I want you to lead Grace Baptist Church. Who, who am I? I can't do this. I've not been trained to do this. I don't know how to do it. It would be like if, if Chad called me, there's a big fire, and he said, Pastor Jim, go put out that fire. I don't know how to put on the little outfit. You know how cool they can, they can jump into the... I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do any of it. Who am I? And God tells you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Who am I? You see, Jesus Christ received and accepted his commission. Moses wasn't rebelling against the commission. He just didn't believe that he could accomplish the task that God had given him. And God said, Moses, man, I know. I get it. You've been here. You've not been talking to anybody but sheep. I, I understand why you feel that way. Is that what God said? Moses' response is typical. We first presume, then we despair. So I'm not going to take the time to look there. We've, we've talked about it. Moses, God said, I want you to deliver. He, he saw, this is before this, he saw the plight of God's people, and he saw a taskmaster hurting one of God's people, so he went and killed that guy. Bad plan, right? How many of you know that that was not God's plan? So then he ends up saying, look, here's what he does. He first acts rashly. So here's what happens. We get saved. We see that people need to be saved. We understand that they're under a false religion, and we start to act rashly. How many of you, that's your testimony, right? You said something like that to people. You act rashly. But then because of the result of his actions, he despairs. And then he quits. And so here's what we do. We get saved. God calls us to do something. We start trying to serve the Lord. We mess it up. I'm not going to ask you how many of you have tried to serve God and done something wrong in the way that you tried to serve God. Man, how many, you guys could make a list of things that I have messed up trying to lead Grace Baptist Church. We all start with good intentions to do what God wants us to do. But many times we do it in our own strength and our own wisdom and we end up messing it up. And that makes us want to quit. God, you can't use me. I messed this up. And that's what Moses does. Moses has a fixed, immovable opinion of himself. I can't do it. And I got to tell you, I guarantee you there are many of you who have a fixed and immovable opinion of yourself that for whatever reason, God can't use me. God can't use me. It could be that you said, God, I will. And then you backed away. And because the Bible says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, you say, well, the Bible says no man that puts his hand to a plow and turneth away is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Well, the good news is we're not going to the kingdom of heaven. We're going to heaven. You see, God's not finished with you. And here's the amazing thing. When you said, yes, God, I will, then you messed it up and walked away. Here's the amazing thing. God knew you were going to do that. And he still has a calling on your life. You see, we can all get this fixed, 
an immovable opinion of ourselves. And that's not the opinion that God has of us. Very interesting. He has had 40 years in the desert with a bunch of sheep to think about his ability and his potential. Raised in the king's house, now sheep. Well, God, apparently this is all that I can do. His opinion, I was never called to do anything in Egypt. Who am I? Who am I? Moses has forgotten two things. The first is God, who God uses. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Who does God use? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Are you all still with me this morning? First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28. Who does God use? This will make you feel good. The base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. How many of you don't think you're worthy? Then you're the one. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? How many of you doubt your own ability to do something for God? Well, then you're the one because that's who God uses. God's, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Why? So that he gets the glory. God doesn't choose the mightiest. God doesn't choose the smartest. God doesn't choose the best looking. Obviously, by who God called to be your pastor. What does God do? God calls somebody. He'll say, yeah, God, I'll go. I'll do it. Isn't that such a blessing? Man, when I look at myself, I see so many things that I just cannot do. I can't do it. The next step that needs some next steps that need to be taken. I say, God, I don't know if I have the strength to do that. I don't think I can do it. And God says, okay, you've got, you're right where I want you. You're right exactly where I want you. Who does God use? And then the power of his presence, the power of his, look at Exodus. Go back to Exodus. Look at verse eight, chapter three, verse eight. And I am come down to deliver them. What does God say? I'm not only sending you, but I'm coming down. He actually came down and his presence was in that bush. Do you know what that means? That God's presence is still with Israel. They're still his people. And what did Jesus say to us? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's with us. The power of of his presence. So when God tells you to do something, he won't just send you out. He's going to take you with him. God calls no man to the ministry who does not realize his own significance. God doesn't call any of us to do something for him who do not realize, man, I, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. That's who God calls. Moses has learned humility. Listen, this is so good. Moses has learned humility. He must now learn faith in God. Amen. Does God want to use you? Does God have a purpose for you? Does God have something special for you? Do you have faith in him? God's supernatural grace. Moses has problems. God has solutions. Let's look at this. What are Moses' problems? First, so we're back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Who am I? Who am I? God, you've got this big job to do. Who am I to do this? That's a pretty big problem. And then look at what he says in verse 13. Who am I? And then who are you? And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I came unto the children of Israel, or I'm sorry, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Who are you? You know, sometimes we look at God and say, God, will you show yourself to me? Will you help me to know what to do in this next step? Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. And Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. So here's what they say. So God, I know that you want me to go and do this, but they won't believe me. So here's what God tells you. I want you to go and give the gospel. And you say, well, who am I to do that? Then you say, I, 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 don't, I don't know how. They, they won't believe me. They'll, they'll think that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm full of it. I don't know what I'm talking about. That's exactly what goes through all of our minds. I don't know enough to do this. I'm not ready. I'm not ready, God. Look at verse 10, chapter 4 and verse 10. I don't speak well. And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech 
and slow of tongue. And that's what you say. The Bible says that you're supposed to give the gospel to people. How many of you know the Bible says you're supposed to give the gospel to people? But you say, I don't talk good. God doesn't care. He didn't ask you how eloquent you are. That's not what God asked you. He didn't ask you what personality he, you know, I just don't like talking to people. I don't like talking to people. Did God ask you that question? No. He said, go. That's what he said. He said, go. He didn't ask Moses. How many of you think God knew how well Moses could speak? How many of you think God knew that? So interesting here. God's solutions. If you look at chapter 3 and verse 12, look at what he says. And he said, certainly, I will be with thee. God says, I'll go with you. That's what God told Moses. Do you know what God tells you? I'll go with you. I'll go with you. When you go and give that person the gospel, when you go and give comfort to that person who's hurting, when you go and reach out to that person, I'll go with you. God's solutions. Then look at verse 14. Listen to my name. Verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am sent me unto you. I am hath sent me unto you. Not I was, not I will be, but I am. The perpetual now of God. He knows exactly where you are and he will always be with you. And here's what we say. God, that's not enough. That's not enough. This is carte blanche to do whatever God wants us to do. And then we're not going to take the time to read all of chapter 4. He says, I'll give you power. He gave Moses signs. He could do miracles. And what he says to us is he'll give us power to preach the gospel, to reach, to influence people. He promises us his power. Then he says in verse 11, it's so interesting. Look at what it says in verse 11 of chapter 4. And the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? I made your mouth. I know what mouth you have. I will give you the words and the ability. Now look at chapter 4 and verse 13, Moses' refusal. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him who thou wilt send. In other words, God, this is what we say. Pastor, this is a great idea. I think you should have someone do that. That's exactly what Moses just said. Yeah, I think that we need to deliver God's people. I, we, your people need to deliver it. Go ahead and send somebody. Now, God had told Moses to do it. He didn't ask Moses whether he agreed with the project or not. He said, go do it. And remember, remember what God said. Moses, I know you don't feel like you're good enough. I get it. Is that what God said? <laughs> Look at verse 14. So we're, we're in chapter 4, verse 14. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. You see that? The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. So look up here at the screen. I want you to see something. Every other time God used this phrase, he's getting ready to kill somebody. Here, some examples. Numbers 11.1. 1. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Anger of the Lord was kindled. Deuteronomy 7, 4. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. Joshua 7, 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And what did God do? He killed Achan. He killed those people. It's such an interesting thing. When God says, trust me, do you know what it means? And I'm done. I'm trying to do good on my clock. So just plug in right here. When God says, trust me, and you say, I can't, God receives that as blasphemy. What you're saying to God is not, I can't. You're saying, God, you can't. Is there anything that God can do? With God, all things are possible. There's nothing that God can't do that aligns with his will, that aligns with his character. There's nothing that God can't do. Now, just so you know, somebody out here might say, well, God can't sin. He can't do anything 
that violates his character. All right? Kindled. But in his grace, God provides a helper for Moses, his brother Aaron. Do you know what God does? God will use us if we're available. What are your objections? What are God's answers to them? All of us have objections to serving God. God's solutions are available to us as well. Here's what God says to us. He says, I'll go with you. How many of you know that God's with you? He says, I'll go with you. And then he says, remember my name. We're Christians. Anybody here a Christian? How many of you would say you're a Christian? Whose name is that based on? Christ. He says, I'll go with you. Remember my name. I'll give you power beyond what you ever thought. Do you think Moses ever dreamed what God would use him to do? I'll give you the words to say and teach you how to say them. Then I love this one. I'll provide a brother to help you. Here's the cool thing. Do you know, some of you, you say, well, I don't speak well. You can still go. And do you know what you need to do? You need to take a brother with you. See, it's interesting. God sent them out two by two. He didn't tell you to go by yourself. You don't have to go by yourself. God did provide you a brother. You see, this is where discipleships are so important. They'll know you're my disciples by your love, one for another. You see, it's interesting. Two of you can do something that one of you never could. You know what God's going to do? God says, I'm going to send you. I'm going to go with you. Remember the power of my name. And because we, he knows that we are weak, he says, I'll also give you a brother. I'll give you a brother. That's why fellowship in the church is so important. That's why discipleship is so important. That's why all of this is so vital. Who am I? What does God want you to do? What is God's calling on your life? Our theme is building by faith, and that's what we've been doing. Well, we're building the building by faith, and it's becoming easier to believe that's going to happen. I mentioned to Laura, do you see the background on the slide? It's the stone. We made the slide before we had the stone. And so while we were singing, I was looking at the slide, then I was looking at the baptistry wall. You see, it's not a dream anymore. It's not faith anymore. It's here. We're building by faith. But we're not only building the building by faith. We're building the church by faith. And the church isn't the building. The church is us. What does God want you to do? What is God's call on your life? What is the next step that God wants you to make? If you're here, it might be the first step. You're here this morning and you're not saved. The first step of God's call in your life is for you to be saved. For you to make that decision to believe in Jesus Christ as your savior. Some of you, your next step in belief is to follow the Lord and believers baptism. Now it'll be a couple of weeks because the baptistry is not finished, but it could be your next step is to follow the Lord and believers baptism. It could be your next step is to say, I will get discipled. I'm going to do that. It could be your next step is I need to go through disciple or training. I've been discipled, but now I'm ready. I'm going to disciple somebody else. It could be that you've been through that training and you're not discipling somebody and you need to find somebody and disciple them. It could be that you need to start giving and you've never by faith trusted God that he will handle your finances. It could be that God just wants you to tell someone about Jesus Christ. You say, I can't take a brother with you. Amen? God has a plan for us. Let's all stand together. Lord, you've called all of us. And I think at one point or another, all of us have said, who am I? I can't do this.